Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. Would you sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life? Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Melody Brooks Johnson. We got connected via Instagram, and I'm finding a lot of Black entrepreneurs on Instagram. So I've hit a gold mine on the site, and we want to have on to talk about her journey uh, into how she became an educational consultant and the work that she's doing. And interestingly enough, compared to the other entrepreneurs I have on the show, her background is in early childhood education. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Melody? I'm Melody Brooks Johnson, and I am the founder and CEO of the Brooks Johnson Group. Um, yeah, um, this is so new to me, and I just thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to share my story um, and just principles about early childhood education. Well, thank you again for coming on. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And what drew you to early childhood education? Okay, so I knew I would be a teacher. I just knew it. Um, I come from a line of teachers. My father was a teacher. My aunts were teachers. Um, and I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. First, I actually did not have a great um, early childhood experience um, in school. So I always wanted to be the teacher that children remembered. Um, so it was very important for me to, you know, give our future, um, you know, teachers that they can remember that really make a lasting impact. Um, and yeah, so I knew I would be a teacher. Now, did I know that I would be a entrepreneur? Um, not really. Um, I, you know, have a bachelor's in early childhood education from Central State University. Um, and I have a, a master's in child development administration from Erickson Institute, which is considered like the Harvard uh, of graduate school, <laughs> um, the Harvard of child development. So um, yeah, my goal was always to like open a chain of childcare centers. Um, and I'm not there yet. I believe it's still in my future. Um, but right now, um, I just decided to take this route. So before we get into your company, tell us about your experiences with teaching in Korea. Okay, yes. So um, I went to Korea after my first year of teaching kindergarten. Um, my school, the school that I was at, they were consolidating like four schools in the community due to low enrollment. So um you know, in order to go into this new state-of-the-art building, um, you know, they, it was very competitive because now you're bringing four schools together, combining it into one. And so um, they wanted you to have five years of teaching experiences in order to move into the new building, along with a laundry list of other things that they required. And um, as a first-year teacher, I really just did not have it. So um, my, the principal at that time, 
she was just saying, don't get discouraged. Like here, I know this program is called Epic English Program in Korea. Um, and here you can go get the best experience. So by the time you come back, you know, you will have more skills and, you know, be more marketable for people when you were actually looking, you know, for positions. I'm like, who's going to South Korea? I don't know anybody there. Um, I don't speak the language. Um, but, you know, maybe four or five months down the line, I was like, you know what, I just might consider that. So I was very young, um, about 23 at the time. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I left Chicago and um, traveled abroad to South Korea, stayed for 15 months teaching um, third through sixth graders. Um, I was a native English teacher teaching na um, Korean students English. It was a pretty mm. cool experience. And what was that like? What, what is their school system like? Um, it is one of a kind. <laughs> um, I will say, I would just start by saying they have a very successful system. Um, I believe it was the most, they have the most extreme practices, um, the most competitive students, um, but the most successful school system like in the world. Um, so it worked. So what I mean by um, the most extreme practices, oh my goodness, they study year round. So school is 12 months. Um, and once children get into third grade, they pride themselves on, you know, making a decision, what you want to focus on? What do you want to be when you grow up? Because now we need to start investing in that. So, if, um, so once children reach third grade, they choose a focus. So if they want to focus on science and engineering after school, their parents pay for private school after school. So not only do they go to school 12 months a year, but they pretty much are in, in regular school from about 8.30 to 2. They might get an hour break and then they go to a, their private first. So whatever you want to focus on. If you want to focus on science, then you go to a science academy. If you want to focus, focus on math, you'll go to a math academy. Or if you want to learn English as a second language, um, you'll go to an English academy. So those were some of the extreme um, measures that uh, and just how serious they took education. I would say um, their early childhood education was free from birth to five. Everyone could go, it was free. That is something that we do not have um, in America. Um, the teachers, they um, led the classroom just as a community. They valued um, peer relationships and individual relationships. Um, and they really wanted students to be successful um, in life and not just in their classroom. So as you mentioned earlier, you are the founder of the Brooks Johnson Group. What is the motivation or what was the motivation behind you creating the company? Yeah, so I feel like everything that I, like all the major moves, it comes from like a season of transition. So last year, um, my family um, relocated from Chicago, Illinois to Columbus, Ohio. Um, so I was at the peak of my career. Oh my goodness. Um, and I was pretty resistant about the move as well. Um, but I knew that this was best for my family and my husband with his job and everything. 
So I was originally set to resign. Um, I was the director of programs for um, a nonprofit organization in the city of Chicago. Um, and I was originally set to resign in March of 2020, but then the, you know, the pandemic happened. So they asked me to stay on until June. I'm like, okay, we're working remotely. I can stay on, um, but I'm still plotting and drafting my plans. Um, I'm searching for jobs and the job market is just not there. It's so different here, I feel. It's a little different. So with that, I'm like, this is the time that I need to just create my own lane. And um, yeah, it was just the perfect time. So um, I was supposed to stay on with my organization until June. And so I knew that I had from March to June to get it together. So let me start getting things together. And I did so, but when June came, they were like, oh, well, we're still working remotely. So would you mind staying on to September? I'm like, okay, that gives me a little bit more time. I can do it. I was like, God, it's good. Thank you. I needed this extra couple months. So I stayed on in September. They were like, well, could you just stay the rest of the year? So I'm like, but I did share my plans. Like, okay, I started this, you know, education consultant firm and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Um, and, you know, they worked with me. So I was really excited about that. Um, so in December, December, 2020, I actually resigned. They asked me to stay um, an additional three months, but I just had to cut it off and make the decision. Like if I'm gonna move forward, I just have to do it. So here I am, uh, January, 2021, and I'm going full time, full head on and offering all of my services and just really connecting and collaborating and learning what it is to be a CEO. Um, and yeah, that brings me here today. So what would you say, because we hear a lot in the media about K through 12 education, but normally it's not about the younger ones. So what would you say is, you know, what do people don't understand? What do they get wrong about early, early childhood education? And how did you decide based upon your experiences where to actually focus your expertise? Yeah, so I think one of the misconceptions is that early childhood education is just babysitting. Um, so parents have that misconception, K through 12 have that misconception, um, and some teachers have that, uh, early childhood education teachers have that misconception, but it is so much going on um, at that age. This is a critical point of development um, that we really have to take advantage of this short years that we have to really nurture and, um, you know, pour into uh, these young minds. So that's one misconception. And then um, that play. So early childhood is a play-based, it, it's just play-based, right? So most people just feel that um, play is done, should be done after work um, or kind of like a relief from serious learning. And we don't wanna look at it like that. That is a huge misconception. Play is the serious work of children. They are learning so much um, as they play. Um, they're problem solving, classifying, um, expressive, expressing themselves, um, 
you know, understanding social cues, uh, learning other people's perspective, uh, using regulation skills, um, setting, setting rules, following rules, implementing rules, all of those things. Those are all things that um, some adults struggle with today. <laughs> So just to have the opportunity to start nurturing those things early on, I mean, this is the biggest, the, the best investment that we can make. Um, and then just for K, the K through 12 population, I just want you to know that young children become third graders who are unable to read and who are unable to manage their feelings and their emotions. So it's very important to start as young as possible um, to eliminate some of the problems that we had in K through 12. Mm. I know I'm going to get a little deeper because I want to ask you about this later on about what parents should know, but when you are dealing with students of that age and most of their contact has come from home and then they come to school with certain behaviors or ways to communicate that may not gel well in the school environment, how do you work with students in understanding appropriate behaviors? Ooh, so that is something that we struggle with. Um, and as a coach, I am a coach. Uh, I know we haven't gotten to the business yet, but um, as a coach, um, it is very important for um, teachers to set the tone. So yeah, we have to redo all that, um, you know, not redo, I don't wanna say that, not redo, but we have to kind of train them to be in school. So we set the tone of our classroom. So we're having uh, behavior management, just clear, consistent um, expectations, setting clear expectations, um, redirecting behavior, uh, being consistent, having clarity of rules, um, anticipating problems um, before they happen. So, happen. so being very proactive versus reactive. Um, mm -hmm. And when you do all of those things, children adapt. This is the age, this is the time that we can change behaviors before it becomes a habit. One of my favorite quotes is from Frederick, Frederick Douglass, where um, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Um, so with this, um, I try to really help my teachers understand um, the importance of having behavior management and having clear expectations and whatever your whatever that is, you have to just be consistent in doing it. So when you are very consistent, then the student behavior changes. It's frequent compliance, um, little aggression and little defiance. And that's um, what we like to see in classrooms. It tells a lot about the system. Mm. So tell us about your the services that you offer and how do you work with teachers? Because you, you, you mentioned some of the coaching that you do, but when you're working with those school leaders and those people who will operate uh, one of those little learning centers, how do you work with them? Yeah, so um, similar to South Korea, um, where they really are engaged with, you know, peer interactions and individual attention to, um, to the children. Um, I offer class observations. 
which is the um, classroom assessment scoring system, which just measures the effectiveness of teacher-child interactions. So teacher-child interactions are, uh, are very important. And in it, we are measuring, um, you know, the emotional support that one is able to provide, um, the classroom management and the instructional support. So um, in emotional support, we're just trying to see how respectful are teachers. I mean, it's really simple things. And most of the times, um, so it would be in positive climate, um, we might have, um, you know, it's the respect for children, the attention that you provide, the positive affects. So, you know, when, a ch when children smile, do you smile? Or are you kind of like a little sarcastic? Um, the positive communication, so verbal and physical affection. Um, and then, you know, warm smiles, eye contact, respectful language, and then cooperation. So that's cooperation with your um, assistants, your teaching team, as well as cooperation with the students. Um, so that's like, that's positive climate. Then we look at, um, you know, teacher sensitivity. Teacher sensitivity um, is one indicator that, uh, some people get confused, but it's really just how um, teachers respond to the academic and emotional needs and concerns of children. So showing awareness, um, responsiveness, addressing you know, individual problems and student comfort. And sometimes um, we'll have time to address every single problem that young children have because it's so many, but um, simple things can just say like, okay, we can't handle this right now, but I promise I'll get to you. Just acknowledgement of some of those things um, just shows a better um, uh, climate. And then like regard for student perspective. We wanna really see um, how teachers are being flexible uh, and student focused or how they are promoting autonomy and leadership in the classroom and how they're allowing uh, children to express themselves and, um, you know, how flexible they are in movement. You know, sometimes in early childhood education, you might hear crisscross applesauce, zip your lips, hands in your lap, all of those things. But sometimes, you know, children need to move. They have a sense of urgency to do so. So, um, you know, allowing children to be flexible in that. So those are some of the things we look at for um, emotional support and um, behavioral, uh, I'm sorry, in the classroom organization, we are looking at, um, we are looking at um, how clear your expectations are, um, how you re redirect behavior, your productivity, um, maximizing learning time. So, uh, you know, every minute of the day that they're, they're, they're learning instead of, you know, we're taking 20 kids to the bathroom and we have to wait for 15 minutes and everybody's just start hitting each other. And, you know, we want to actually take some time. Like, wow, you know, you don't want to take a group of 20. You just want to take a one or two and then, you know, have an activity for them to do while, you know, so they're still learning while they're waiting. Um, so just really maximizing your time, having set routines in place, um, smooth transitions and being prepared prior to um, any activity that you're doing. Um, the last thing we assess is um, instructional support. So this one is my favorite. It's um, really how we promote higher order thinking, how we get children thinking, um, reasoning and analyzing, um, you know. So some of those things is like, um, 
are we having children brainstorm uh, when they are, before they go to a center or area? I know you're not a uh, preschool <laughs> or early childhood. So, you know, you have choice time. Before you go there, you just sending the children your choice time or you actually having them map out their day. Like, okay, when you go into the black area, what are you going to do today? What materials are you, what materials will you need? How are you going to do? And then actually have them produce something and tell you what they produce. Those simple things like that, it really changes the dynamic. Um, and when we assess, I think it changes teachers' uh, mindset about what they're doing as well and not like, oh, they're just going to play. No, they're not going to play. They are working. They are working hard. They are producing. They are integrating. Um, and then everything that we do, are we connecting it to the real you know, real world, is it applicable to the child? Um, and then the last thing I'll say about instructional support is really about the quality of feedback that we provide um, to children. Um, I did an IG live on this when I was excited about it. Um, but here we're talking about um, how we prompt thought processes. Um, so we're asking children uh, to explain their thinking. It's very important to kind of get them to keep going instead of just stopping the conversation. Or once they say something, provide additional information. Like, oh, um, you know, it's cold outside. So are you gonna say, yeah, it is cold outside. And then the conversation stop. Or if you're gonna be like, well, do you know the temperature? How, what is it gonna be? And what do we, if it's cold outside, what are we gonna, what can we do in the winter time? What, what activities can we do? Or what, what do we need? Um, when we know it's cold outside. How can we still have fun outside in this time? You know, you just want to kind of extend um, the information and keep the conversations going to get children thinking. Um, and also all these things build relationships, which is the heart of everything that we do. Mm. So during this time in a child's age and their life, what should parents know about the social, emotional, and educational needs of their child? I think um, parents should know that they are their child's first teacher um, and that it is very important for them to lay the most solid and the most influential um, foundation on their children with like a sense of trust because when they trust their parents, they learn to trust the world. When they can't trust their parents, um, it's hard for you to, you know, trust other people. Um, a few other things that I would say would be um, really for parents to be concerned about the quality of development in every stage. So sometimes um, parents, teachers, just people in general um, have an idea like, okay, we're so happy. Oh, he's crawling. Yes, now let's get you to walk. So what is it? Okay, you crawling today and tomorrow you need to be walking. Like, no, you know, it'll happen in time and just appreciate that your child is crawling at this time. Just stay there, appreciate that. And then, okay, so now they're, they're pulling up on things. So just appreciate that. It's not that they're pulling up and they need to take off walking. No, just appreciate where they are in every stage. And um, so I would say for parents and teachers, get to know where your children are, appreciate that stage, nurture it. And once you nurture it, the next stage, the next phase will come. Um, I would also say, be honest about your feelings um, and acknowledge children's feelings. 
because we teach, um, we have to teach children how to do that. Sometimes um, I think it's a cultural thing that we kind of suppress our feelings or, you know, you hear boys like, oh, boys don't cry. Yes, they do. Oh, you feel, you're angry right now. You have a right to get angry. I get angry as well. And when I'm angry, I can do this. This is an appropriate way to express our anger. When we don't teach those things, um, I think it's just damaging as they get older. So this is a prime time to, you know, be honest about your feelings, express them, um, accept the feeling, um, find really positive ways to get it out, to release it, um, and then move on. Also, um, learn each child's unique ways of communicating because every parent communicates differently with their children. Every child communicates differently. So um, I really think it's important for people to understand a ways of communication. And once you do that, you know, it's, it, I think it builds the relationship. I just know. When my son cried, I know. I know what he needs and he's very, um, he's kind of like me. We don't like to be put on the spot. So um, he's in virtual learning right now and he did something, he was drinking something on class and he spilled it, he got so embarrassed. And his teacher was bringing awareness to it. She was really trying to console him, but he couldn't get it to, I was like, oh my goodness, he, he don't want. <laughs> He don't want people to bring, he don't want to be the center of attention. So just, I just understand that about him. So, you know, I just kind of have to remove him, talk to him privately and let him know that it's okay. And then re-engage him with the group. Mm. Um, but you really have to learn your child's unique ways of communicating. Um, yeah, that's the parents have to understand that. And then when they go to school, you can help communicate that to your child's teacher. So how have you been using uh, social media uh, like Instagram to build the brand awareness of what you're doing? I am learning that that is what you have to do. You have to put yourself out there. Um, and I'm still working on it. Um, but I have a goal of posting a minimum uh, four times weekly. Um, I am getting into just finding more creative ways to express myself and uh, share the inf information so that it is received by, you know, other people who's maybe not in early childhood education or not interested, but just find interesting ways to, you know, capture their attention. Um, so I would say I am still trying, um, but I am appreciating the journey. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be excited to see where I am a year from now. Hmm. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when you go on Instagram, and I didn't even know it was out there, there's just so many educators who are consultants and they're on Instagram and, I, and I'm trying to follow as many as I can to get as many as I can on the show but how did you learn the business side of you know creating the company and the whole marketing of your your company and you know the whole thing about finding clients and taxes and all of those things who did you turn to uh for guidance oh so right now i am in two master classes <laughs> 
like you cannot call yourself a CEO and don't know the business. So I'm like, okay, I added this title. So let me figure this out. So I am currently um, a student in the 12 week uh, Get Launch Consulting with Erica Jordan Thomas. Um, I'm so excited about this journey and she is the raw, real deal. Um, and I'm learning so much through her program. Um, and I'm also a part of Wealthy Life Solutions. It is a business financial masterclass, which um, they teach you, oh my goodness, they teach you about um, the pricing, um, how many bank accounts you need, taxes, profit, because you ain't a business if you're not making profit. Um, you know, so banking needs, uh, Duns and Bradstreets, all of that good stuff. So um, those two organizations have really um, helped me out. Uh, one is coming to an end and I'm already looking for the next one to get. I'm, I am a um, lifelong learner. I'm enjoying it, but I'm like, so much stuff. Um, but as a newbie, you have to uh, just kind of embrace it. It comes with the territory. And um, at this point, I'm just investing in myself. Mm. So before we go, what is your call to action for that educator who is thinking about monetizing their talents? So my call to action is if you are a teacher um, who is looking to um, enhance their skill set in the classroom, really looking to take your teaching to the next level, I am your coach. Um, we have a six-week uh, coaching circle that we do with teaching pre-K pre teaching teams where we are um, covering the uh, three domains and nine dimensions that I, you know, previously mentioned. Um, but if you're not ready for that, um, we just have, we offer class assessments, uh, which, you know, really give a baseline assessment of what your strengths and your areas of improvements are. And we work with um, early childhood administrators. So program directors, um, instructional coaches, uh, APs and principals to um, inform data-driven decisions with for professional development and um, yeah, future growth. Um, What's, what we have coming up is uh, CDA courses online and um, our newest venture is just school readiness and how to connect pre-K teachers with kindergarten teachers so that we can continue the progress um, and really work together because uh, both, both um, settings have very difficult roles. And if we work together, um, I think, children will have a better, much better um, experience in kindergarten. Well, thank you, Melody, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and share it. And, you know, just really check out the podcast. Now, I like the stars, but can I get some reviews because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Melody Brooks Johnson for coming on and dropping so many gems. And again, I'd like to thank you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people invest in you, edu, 
Peace.